this is the fifth of these that we've been going through. And um, we've been looking at these hallmarks of a biblical church. And I think it's important that we realize that these are very elementary, very foundational to a biblical church. Okay, and we're not going through this saying, oh, we've arrived and we're the only church. That's not our heart. That's not my heart. We have a long way to go in our church in a lot of different ways. But I think that for the most part, we're, we're landing positively on, on a lot of these points. And those points are there in your outline. We, we covered the first week. And if you haven't been here or you haven't kept up with the studies, I'd encourage you to look on the app and, and go back and listen to them because they kind of build on each other. Um, and the first one was a high view of God and how important that is. Uh, secondly, we looked at a high view of Scripture. And then thirdly, a biblical view of man. What does that mean? What does that look like? And, and then fourthly, last week, we looked at a biblical view of the church. What is the church? And tonight we want to look at the central place of Christ and the gospel in a biblical church. And... When I think of that, the centrality of Christ, I was drawn to, uh, started to think about the, the solar system in which we live. And you, you stop and you, you think about it, the greatest source of power uh, in our solar system is what? The sun, right? And uh, the sun, as you know, is really just a medium, medium-sized star. <laughs> Not even a big star, it's just considered a medium-sized star. And it's a huge ball of, of gas with a diameter of 865,000 miles. Um, that's 109 times greater in diameter than the Earth. Uh, the sun consists of some 75% hydrogen, 20% helium. The rest of it is made up of elements and, 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 and different things like that. At its surface, scientists tell us that it's a cool 10,000 degrees. <laughs> you thought it was hot today. Can you imagine 10,000 degrees? That's on the surface of the sun. And they say that they project, they don't know for sure, but they project, scientists say that at its core, some say that it could be 27 million degrees. I mean, I can't conceive of that, right? And it's the average distance from the Earth is some 93 a million miles, that's a pretty long way. That means it takes about eight minutes traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second for when light leaves the surface of the, the sun, it takes eight minutes to get to Earth. Eight minutes and 20 seconds, actually. They figure that out. But our, when you think of the sun, you think of it as dominating, really, our solar system. It, it, it makes up, they tell us, some 99.8% of the mass in our solar system. And the sun is central to our solar system. We learned this in science class. And yet for a thousand years, uh, Ptolemy and his disciples taught that the Earth was in fact the center of the solar system. That's what they taught everybody. That's what they believed. And uh, not only of our solar system, but of the entire universe they thought the Earth was. And that's, that was... Just for thousands of years, that's what they taught and that's what they believed. And they taught that until uh, Copernicus showed up and he said, you know what, you got it wrong, sorry, <laughs> that's not true. And it sparked a whole revolution uh, about what is the center of the solar system. And it really put the center of the solar system back to the sun. The sun is the, the, the central uh, 
body of our solar system. And it, it took a while for that to that, that mindset to change. And as I thought about that, I mean, they thought about this for so long, thousands of years, but they were wrong. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? I think it relates to the church today, the evangelical church even, because I think it's lost its center, if you will. You know, they, they, they've, they've, they've lost what the church is about. Um, and I think today they need kind of a revolution. They need somebody to come along and say, wait, what are you focusing on? What do you think the center of the church should be? And the revolution in which the church, in which the life of the church comes again to revolve around Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's the revolution we need. And that's very distinctive. And, and tonight we're going to be looking at Christ and the gospel and how that's the, the mark of every true biblical church. And, and we've been examining these hallmarks. And we started back in 1 Timothy 3.15, if you recall. And that's when uh, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, hey, in case I'm delayed, I'm going to write you these things because you need to ha know how to conduct yourselves in the church, in the household of God. And so... We, we've been talking about these principles, these guidelines, this, this biblical philosophy of ministry, which is basically a set of non-negotiable uh, principles that guide and um, direct the, the ministries and the decisions made within a biblical church. And so we found those in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, the pastoral epistles, and we've talked about uh, four of those so far. And tonight we come to the fifth one, which is the central place of Christ and the gospel. And um, normally, I've begun every week, well, let me tell you what that means. Uh, if you follow the outlines at all, that's the first heading, is what does that mean? Uh, to have Christ as the central place and the gospel as the central place of a biblical church. But tonight, I want to look at what does that not mean? Because there's a lot of misunderstanding on this. First of all, it does not mean that every Sunday, you hear a message that is just a simple gospel presentation. It's just the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Come to Jesus and play nine verses of just as I am and get people saved, and then that's all that the church does. Um, if that happens, not only has the leadership, I believe, misunderstood the purpose of the church, but frankly, the members of the church will probably starve to death. Because a presentation like that, week after week after week, just the gospel, you know, John 3.16, just sharing the gospel, that's what the church is about, you'll starve to death spiritually, because that's not going to feed your soul. Okay, and we've, I've been a part, part of churches that have very much focused on just that. It's all about um, evangelism. It's all about focusing on the gospel, the gospel. And so every Sunday, there's just a simple gospel presentation that's preached over and over and over again. And it really lacks any kind of real depth in the lives of the people. And they end up just kind of withering. The second thing it does not mean is that Christ and the gospel will be be, will be the central, and that's the key word, the central um, theme of every message. Okay? It doesn't mean that. Christ and the gospel will be brought into the message. Hopefully, every, every time someone preaches here, you'll hear the gospel. But it's not always going to be the central theme of that sermon or that message. <clears throat> and Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 2.2, he says, I determined to know what? Nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so people use that and say, that's all we got to preach about. We just got to preach about Jesus and him crucified. Um, no, that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that that's all he ever taught the Corinthians. Because we've gone through the, the book of Corinthians and he spent some 
a year and a half or 18 months teaching them all kinds of things. And so it, it tells us that he taught them from the entire word of God, which would have been the Old Testament at the time. But still, he taught them all kinds of different theology, not just the gospel and about Jesus. And so when you read the letters of Paul throughout the New Testament, the theme of every paragraph of Paul's letter is not just Jesus and the gospel. He covers so much more, right? Um, it's woven throughout, okay? But it's not always just the, the central message. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, he said this, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Okay, there's some churches where all they teach out of the New Testament. That's all they teach out. But, you know, we teach on the Old Testament. We teach on the New Testament. A lot of times on Sundays we're in the New Testament because we're going through uh, books of the New Testament. On Wednesdays, a lot of times we tend to be in a book of the Old Testament because it's all the Word of God. And so we're not saying that when we say that the church is centered in Christ and the gospel, that he and, and the gospel will be the central theme of every message even though it's woven through that message. Thirdly, we're not saying that we're talking about this sentimental, emotional atmosphere in which there's a lot of talk about Jesus. Some churches, that's all it is. Um, there can be that. There can be no uh, real centrality of Jesus Christ and the gospel, as you know, um, you know if, you, if you don't get any deeper than just the emotional level. Uh, third, or fourthly, it does not mean that a professed, love of Jesus Christ is all that matters. This is important for us to hear because a lot of people in churches today think that's all that matters. And so when they're talking to people outside the church, if they, if they say they love Jesus, then, well, that's wonderful. We accept them. Hey, that's great. And you, you can't go by that anymore. Um, one time I was interacting with a local pastor and I was talking to him. We went to lunch and, and we were talking about this very subject, how the gospel has just been kind of um, watered down to the point where anybody could be a Christian. And he said, well, if they love Jesus, they are, right? And I said, well, ask a Mormon if they love Jesus. They'll say yes. Would you count them as a, well, if they say they love Jesus? I said, they're, they're not loving the Jesus of the Bible. Well, and he wouldn't budge. He just said, well, I think if that's good enough for God. I think if, if they're declaring their love for his son, and, you know, uh, and there's people like that in the church today, that as long as somebody says they love Jesus, then, oh, wow, brother or sister, great, this is great. But they got to stop and say, is it the same Jesus? Because if it's Jehovah Witness Jesus or if it's a Mormon Jesus, that's not the same Jesus of the Bible. And um, we, we have to remind ourselves of that. So, so Christ in the gospel holding a central place in the life of the church doesn't mean those things at all. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, here it is. It means simply this. All the teaching, and it's there in your outline, all the teaching and ministry of the church must ultimately, ultimately be rooted in the truth of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. If, if your church is rooted in anything else, then you're not a biblical church. Uh, all the teaching and all the ministry of the church is rooted in the truth of who Jesus declares himself to be and what he accomplished um, when you think of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that's the, the truth that Jesus of Nazareth was promised in the Old Testament as the coming Messiah. Uh, you have to cover the truth that he was both, as we're talking about on Sunday mornings now, right, both fully God and fully man. We have to talk about the truth 
of his perfect uh, sinless life that he lived in place of, of, of sinners. He lived for us. Uh, you have to think of his substitutionary death, as we sang about tonight, where he laid down his life to satisfy the wrath of God against against those who would believe and his resurrection from the dead in which God stamped his approval on all that Christ's life and death accomplished. Um, you have to look at the truth of what Jesus taught personally in his ministry when you look at the ministry of Christ here on earth and what he taught through his apostles and what he continues to teach today through the New Testament letters that we have. Um, and you also have to look at, at the simple truth of Jesus' second coming and his serving as judge to all. And this is all covered throughout the scripture. Jesus is from the book of Genesis through all the way to the end of Revelation. And in the New Testament church, Christ in the gospel, the good news about uh, you know, what he did and who he is, are absolutely and were absolutely central in the New Testament church. Look at 1 Timothy. We spent some time in 1 Timothy, but jump over to 1 Timothy in your Bibles, chapter 3. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. And we already said, quoted this, but it's, it's important to, to look at this. We've already looked at this church. But we understand when we talked about the church that the church is a, a community. It's a family. It's God's family. Okay, it's not our church, it's God's church. And that's what the church is about. But it's, it's also, and we talked about this, it's also in that verse, it says that how you can conduct yourself in the household of God, that is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the support of the truth. So the church is about also supporting the truth. And the question is, well, what is the truth? Well, obviously, ultimately, all of God's word is truth. All of God's revelation to us is, is, is truth. But here, he says the central truth that the church is to support, look at what he says down in verse 16. He kind of defines what he's talking about. He says in verse 16, Paul writes, he says, uh, a great indeed we confess is the mystery of, of godliness. And he's, he's basically saying by common confession, this, this means it's, it's certain, it's undeniable. Um, and that word mystery means God's secret now revealed. That's, that's what that biblically that word would mean. And so this greater, it's important that this, this secret now revealed of, of the godliness and the true godliness seen and known in Christ. And he, he continues in this text, and the next several lines are broken down, depending on what translation, some of them are broken down in kind of like a poematic uh, organization. There are different lines uh, with the statements there, some of them it's just paragraph form. But when you look at the truth on which the church stands about Jesus Christ, first of all, it says he was revealed in the flesh. He was manifested in the flesh, it says. Uh, that means he who previously existed was one who took on human flesh. We've talked about this on the last couple Sundays. Jesus didn't have a beginning. He's an eternal being but he was revealed to us. He was manifested to us in the flesh. And then it says he was vindicated by the Spirit. This is another element of this. And the Holy Spirit vindicated Jesus Christ's claims that he was the Messiah and that he was the Son of God, uh, probably by the resurrection, as Paul claims in, in Romans 1, 4, 
he says, the Spirit declared him to be the Son of God with power. And then he says this, by the resurrection from the dead. And so you can see that, that the, the, he, the Spirit is declaring him Christ. And then thirdly, it says there that he was seen by angels. This is kind of another aspect of that. Um, the word seen is most commonly used in the New Testament uh, of Jesus' resurrection appearances. When you see the word seen in the New Testament, usually it's related to the resurrection. And, and so again and again, it says he appeared, he appeared, he was seen, and that same word is used here. And this probably means here that the angels witnessed the resurrection personally. Okay, and they bore witness to the resurrection to the other humans that came on the scene later. And that's exactly what happened, you remember, on Easter morning. Um, the fourth line there, it says that he was proclaimed among the nations. He, Christ, and what he did, his death and his resurrection, um, was the message that was preached to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. And then, fifthly, he says there that it's believed on in the world. It was heard by human beings, but then it was believed on in the world. It was believed. It was, that the word would mean to us, it would, you could describe it as saying embraced. Um, you and I are a testament to the reality of that fifth line. If you're a believer here tonight, you've embraced Christ. And then lastly there, he says, taken up into what? To glory. And so he ascended uh, he, into heaven and, and was given this great power and authority and position and glory. And so this is all kind of, a, if you want to say, well, what's the work of Christ? Go to this verse, because it's all right there. It's all summarized, right? Nice little package for you. And so um, Christ in his work was and is really absolutely central to everything in the church. In fact, we're told here that, that Christ and the gospel are the primary truth that the church is to be the pillar of and to support. And when you get away from that, when, when churches don't talk about Christ, they don't talk about the gospel, you can tell they're, they're going down the wrong path. Um, and th that shouldn't surprise you. That's what Jesus said about himself uh, while he was here, that the church would be built on who? On him. He's the central. He's the foundation. Um, in Matthew 16, 18, Peter's great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus said? say there? He said this. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, you're a small rock, but upon this rock, he wasn't referring to Peter. The church wasn't built on Peter. Now, the Catholics would have us to believe that, but that's simply not the case. You can't even support that from the original language. Um, that wouldn't make any sense. Peter was constantly vacillating back and forth. Um, in Bible class, they used to call him Pendulumic Peter. Because you never knew what you were going to get, you know. I mean, one minute he's ready to go to uh, go to the cross with Christ, the next minute he's denying Christ to a little simple slave girl. So you never knew what you were going to get from Peter. So to have him as a foundation of the Christian faith would be ridiculous. Um, and so what he says there is, hey, you know what? I say to you, you are Peter. You're a small rock, but upon this rock, and I think he's referring to Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He's referring to himself and the gates of Hades will not overpower it or overcome it. And this is, is to be central in the church. Christ, who he is and what he's accomplished, 
is the center. This is why we gather. This is what we do. Um, but I want you to ask another question. Why is this important? Why should it matter? Um, I think it's important simply because why, is it, why does it matter that, that, that Christ and the gospel are central, first of all, several reasons, but I think it, they're central in God's eternal plan, first of all. Christ and the gospel are central in God's eternal plan. In 2 Timothy, if you turn over a couple pages in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1, you'll see there in verse 8 what he um, talks about here in verse 8. Paul writes, therefore, do not be ashamed. He's writing to Timothy once again. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And he's, remember, this is Paul talking to Timothy. But he says, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us. That's God's, what, effectual calling. Um, that's when God is in the gospel message. He's wooing. He's drawing a sinner to himself irresistibly, effectively, you could say. And then it says he saved us and called us onto a holy calling. And now he gives the purpose here, not because of our works. In other words, it wasn't human merit. You weren't saved because of something you did. You weren't saved because you were a good person or you, you worked for the church or, or you fed the homeless or whatever. No, but because of his own purpose and grace, it says. Now watch this, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He, God, gave us in Christ, in his son, before the ages began. What's that referring to? That's referring to our eternal election, right? Before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. Ephesians tells us that we were selected, we were elected, not because of who we are. God didn't look down from heaven and go, oh, you know, uh, Rudy can play the, the guitar real nice and sing. I'm going to, I got to have him on my team. Oh, Steve, he can play the piano. Oh, Ken can do this and that. You know, no, you know, that, that's not how God looks at it. Um, why did God choose us for salvation? Who knows? It definitely wasn't something within ourselves. All right. But he, it was by his determined, predetermined love that he set upon us. And that's what makes it so special. You know, if you receive something and you don't know why you receive and you have no idea, but it's a real blessing in your life, it, it kind of makes that a, a unique time. If you worked hard for something and then, you know, you work hard for the boss and then he gives you a, a you know, a paycheck, you're going, yeah, well, I deserve this. Right. But but if the boss just came up to you and said, hey, you know, I know you've only worked for us for a day, for four hours today, but, you know, here's ten thousand dollars. What's this for? Right. It's just a gift. Here you go. <laughs> would you want to go back to work the next day? I think you probably would. And I think you'd probably work pretty hard, right? Because why? Because he, he, he blessed you with that gift. And so he's talking about election there before the ages began. And then down in verse 10, he even, he even goes further with it. Look at this. He says, and, and this is his amazing plan, the eternal plan of God's salvation. He says, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Lord, or of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So you have to understand that the Christ and the gospel are part of the eternal plan and the counsel of God. That's why, that's what it means. That's why it's important to have it as central in the church. Secondly, they're, they're, 
Christ and the gospel should be central because they're central themes in Scripture. If you look throughout the Scripture, back over to um, 2 Timothy 3.15, 2 Timothy 3.15, and this is Timothy once again, right, or Paul writing Timothy, his young disciple, his young pastor, and, and he, he, he says basically, hey, from, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sec- sacred writings. What's he talking about? It's a technical term for the Old Testament. So he's saying, Timothy, look, I know you're familiar with the Old Testament. Um, you've, you've known this. And then he says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in who? Christ Jesus. Paul says the Old Testament was about what? At its core, the Old Testament was about Christ and the gospel. See, a lot of times in churches today, they think, oh, the Old Testament, that's, you know, that's those old guys back there, and we don't have to go there anymore. And you, If you preach a message out of the, the Old Testament, you can definitely find Christ. You can lead people to Christ through scriptures in the Old Testament. Christ is central throughout because in the Old Testament, we have the message, what? He's coming, he's coming, the Messiah is coming, this is what he's going to do, this is what he's going to be like. And then in the New Testament, what's the message? He's here, he's here, he's come, okay? And you're confronted with that truth. It's the central theme throughout Scripture. And by the, Lord, by the way, the Lord himself affirmed this in Luke 24, 25, when he said this, and this is after his resurrection, he opened up their, their eyes, his followers, to see this. It says this in verse 25, Luke 24, and he said to them, O foolish ones, he calls them foolish, this is when they're on the Emmaus Road, by the way, after his resurrection with his disciples, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What's he saying? He's saying, wow, you're you're here walking with the risen Lord and you're still kind of struggling with the belief, but you've already had, you've known this was going to happen because you've had the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament, what the prophets have spoken. And then verse 26, he continues, he says, was it not necessary, based on Old Testament revelation, was it not necessary for the Messiah, that is Christ, uh, that he should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses, what's that? He's referring to the first five books of the, of, the, of, of the Old Testament. And then he says, and all the prophets, that's all the rest of the books. And then he interpreted to them in all of the scripture, all of the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. And so Christ himself is testifying to the fact that he is in the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament concept. And you see it again down in verse 44, um, in, in Luke 24, 44, he's, Jesus says, and then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, this is Jesus speaking, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, what's he doing? He's covering everything, right? That's the, that's the entire Old Testament. Um, must be fulfilled, he says. But then in verse 45, he says this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, speaking of the Messiah, should suffer and rise again from the dead and on the the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in the name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus said this is what the Old Testament taught. So the Old Testament just isn't about, you know, the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. Uh, it, it, Christ is central. 
You can see him on every page. And he says, I am, I am basically the message of the Old Testament. I, Christ, and the gospel are central to the Old Testament. Well, the third reason here uh, that it's important to keep Christ and the gospel central are basically this. They're central in salvation, not just in prophetic things and, and throughout the scriptures, but in salvation. And this is 2 Timothy 2.8. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. What Jesus is saying, this is what my gospel is really all about. It's about Jesus Christ, resurrected but human, a descendant of David, he says. So he's very much God, but he's also very much human. Verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, Paul says, but the word of God, this is the message of the gospel, Paul says, is not bound. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, hey, I'm in prison, but you know what? The gospel's not in prison. And I proclaim it because, and I endure everything that I'm going through, Paul is saying, uh, for the sake of those who've been chosen by God, so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can be saved, because it's central. Christ and the gospel are central to salvation. Well, they're also central to our sanctification. That's the fourth thing. Central to our sanctification. Um, we spent some time there last week, I think, but over in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, when it, it, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, uh, that's a reference to Jesus Christ, that's grace incarnate. Uh, we, we read this verse a lot of times at Christmas time. Um, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, what's that mean? It means making it available. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved because he says for all people. We're not universalists. We don't believe everyone is going to be saved. That wouldn't be a biblical belief. But he says bringing salvation, which means it's, it's made available for all people. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness. This is uh, what the gospel does. This, the gospel instructs us to deny ungodliness in our lives and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, and this, this is how it should be. Verse 14 goes on there. He says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for what? Good works. See, the gospel argues for our sanctification. It tells us, hey, you should be coming more like Christ. You should be works. You should be doing works in your life that are, that are uh, in line with your salvation. Works that God has already proven uh, provided for you to do beforehand. And so understanding the gospel and all of its implications produces sanctification in our lives. It makes us more like Christ. Um, fifthly, it's important that Christ and the gospel are central in the believer's worship of and relationship with Christ and with God. And if you jump back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, 
This is Paul argues that prayer be made for all, may, all men, and he makes kind of this theological statement in verse 5. He says, for there is what? There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So there's only one road to be saved. There's only one door to be saved. He says, verse 6, he is the only mediator because he's the one who gave himself as a ransom for all. Um, there were universal aspects of the atonement. He is, a, he is a savior in the sense that he's offered to all men. He's the only savior there is. But of course, effectually, the people that are only going to be saved are those who believe. Just because he's offered to all men doesn't mean that all men will be saved. Um, so he, he said that this is, which is the testimony given at the proper time, verse 7, for this I was appointed, Paul says, a preacher and an apostle. And then he puts in there, hey, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. <laughs> oh, I said that. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. But the point is, is that there's one mediator. What that means is if we're to worship the true God, the one true God, because there is only one God, we have to come through Jesus Christ. There's no other, there's no other access. It's Christ and Christ alone. He is the only accepted channel through which all of our worship flows to the Father. You'll never make it to the Father trying to go through the Holy Spirit. Won't happen. You have to come through Christ. He's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that paid for our sins. Um, to be truly worshiping, you must worship the Father through the Son. Martin Luther said this. He explained it this way. He said, knowing Christ and knowing the Father are tied together and are one in the same knowledge. This is why I have, Luther says this, this is why I have often said that the Father is known only in Christ and neither will nor can be reached and found, worshipped and invoked apart from this mediator. For outside of Christ there is nothing but idolatry and merely a false and imagined notion about God. And then he says this, truly worshipping God consists in believing on him whom the Father has sent, Jesus Christ. So Christ is very much central uh, to our salvation. You cannot approach God except through Jesus Christ. And there, there, there never come a time, by the way, either in your life here or in eternity, that you will be able to approach God unless you go through one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. He is, he is everything there is. Uh, we, we sing, we pray in the name of Christ, we we, we plead for forgiveness because of what Christ has done. We confess the confession uh, that Jesus is Lord, right? We do that. We help even meet the needs of others in the community because of why? Because of what Christ has done for us. It's all about Christ. When we teach, when we preach, what do we do? We preach Christ. We preach him crucified. We take the Lord's Supper once a month, why? Because it, it, what does it do? It reminds us, it memorializes the work of Christ. So Jesus is not merely the, the, the channel of our worship. The New Testament goes on to say that it is the Father's plan that Christ be the object of our worship. 
He's not just the channel of our worship, he's also the object of our worship. The mediator through which we worship God, but also the object and the focus of our worship. Jesus himself said this in John 5, 23. He says the goal, the Father's goal, he's referring to the Father's goal, all will honor. He's, he's talking about his deity, and this is what he says in verse 23. Honor is kind of a synonym for worship. He says that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's what Christ said. And that's really a, a remarkable statement. He's saying no human being who is only a human being would ever justifiably just say that. I mean, he was God, so he could say that. It's God's goal that all, Jesus said, honor the Father by honoring the Son. Um, and whenever you look at Scripture, whenever you look into Scripture, you see Jesus being worshipped, do you not? I mean, people worship him. That's, that's really what distinguishes our Christian faith. We worship Christ. We worship Jesus the Lord. And if our singing and our teaching and our prayers don't consistently keep Jesus Christ as the object of our worship, then guess what? We're really not worshiping. See, and this is where even some of the modern-day generic worship songs, you know, they could be singing about their boyfriend for all we know. Or they're singing about God, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to tell. And they design it that way because, you know, they're hoping for a crossover song or something, you know, and they make a lot of money. But it's important to know that, you know, we, we want to be intentional in our worship. Biblical Christianity is centered in Jesus Christ, the mediator. And true worship must not just be generally about God, but it has to have Christ as the object. The last one there is why it's important, Christ in the, the gospel central, is that they're central in the believer's future. And you see this over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul points this out. He says, I, I, he's writing to Timothy once again, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, or in, in Christ Jesus. And then he says, who is the judge who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, that's all future, what's he say? Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete with complete patience and teaching. And so he's basically pointing out here that Christ is central to our future. He's not just central to our salvation, he's central to our, our future. We anticipate, we long for, we look forward to his second coming as believers, to being part of that kingdom. And he, he makes it even clearer down in verse, um, I think it's verse 18, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom, Paul says. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. That's what Paul was focused on even though he was in prison. And see, this gives us hope, does it not, in our, our Christian lives? I mean, you know, when you're faced with an illness, when you're faced with the end of your life, you have hope as, as a believer. You know that, well, the moment you breathe your last breath, you will be in the presence of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll be in the presence of God forever, for all eternity. I mean, it really makes it, it takes that edge off of death. Now, you know, we shouldn't, 
be running around wishing to die by any means, but at the same time, we have something to look forward to. You know, we, we're not suicidal in our, in our look at eternity, but at the same time, it's a welcome, would it not? I mean, if, if you're not looking forward to Christ returning, if you're not looking forward to going to be with him, then I would check your grip on things here in this world because it might be just a little too tight. <laughs> you know, if you're too worried about whatever I hear people say all the time, you know, um, yeah, I can't wait to go to be with the Lord, but, but I, I don't want to go until I see my grandchildren be born. Or it's like, really? I mean, I get the sentiment, don't get me wrong, but really? I mean, when you're, you're going to be with, with Christ and you, you want to hang around here for a couple of years till you, you see your grandchildren? I mean, I, I get the sentimentality of that, but wow, that, that's, that's, that's startling when you stop and think about it. Um, you know, if Jesus were to show up right now and say, okay, here, come with me, we'll go to heaven, or do you want to hang out here a little while? What would you do? You know, I mean, I, I, I know for a fact there are people, even in our church, that would say, well, can I do it tomorrow? How about next week, Jesus? Come back next week and take me to heaven. I got some things I got to do. No, we should be longing for that. That should be the central focus of everything we're about. And Paul was able here, he was, he was, he was looking to the future, and this was really the, the last words of Paul. He would soon be executed for his faith. He'll never see freedom again. And yet he's saying, wow, you know what? I just can't wait till the Lord rescues me and I'm with him for all of eternity. Um, that brings us to the, one of the last things here. How do you recognize if Christ is central? How do you recognize if the gospel is central in a particular church? You know, and that's one reason why we did this, because a lot of times people come and go here in the Bay Area. You're here for a little while, and then you move away, or you move across the Bay or whatever, and people are always saying, well, how do I find a good Bible church? Well, listen to this series, and, and you'll be ready, right? But one of the things is, if Christ is central and the gospel is central, you'll notice this. The sermons will be Christ-centered, not man-centered. They will be focused on Christ. They will be centered on Christ. What do I mean by that? Um, another way to say it would be they're not listener-centered. In other words, the, the sermons that you hear are not consistently about having better relationships and better communication and, and better uh, relationships in marriage and how to improve your parenting skills and your finances and all that. Now, all those things are important. And there's biblical principles to teach us how to do those things. But if every message, every sermon, that's all you're hearing, okay, there's a, there's a problem. That won't be the consistent um, message or sermon. Um, because those things are centered on what? They're centered on the earth. They're centered on, on man. It's, it's basically reaching out and, and, and scratching man where they're, where they're itching, you know, meeting their felt needs. Um, the focus of the Bible is who? It's Christ. When you read through the Bible, Christ is the, the, the central figure in, in all of biblical literature. And so he will be also the focus of messages in a biblical church. Um, but another point is they're not just listener-focused, okay? 
and you kind of have to say this today, but they're also not preacher-focused. If you go to a church and all you hear is about the preacher, you know, one funny story after the other, after the other, after the other, and, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, we all tell stories and stuff like that, but if it's just a constant dialogue about the preacher, and you notice in churches like that and, and pastors like that, you know, usually the stories, they always come out looking like the hero. I mean, you know, it's not, so some of that is kind of, is that really reality? Um, you're not going to see that in a Christ-centered church because Christ is going to be the focus. It's going to be cross-centered. Um, you know, Ken and I are not the point of this church. We're, we're not the focus of this church. Jesus Christ is, all right? And, and that's very important that you, you realize that. And that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said as much in, in chapter 4, verse 5. He says, we do not preach what? Ourselves. He says, we don't preach ourselves. Um, somebody asked me one time, hey, why, why do you quote so many Bible verses when you're, you're, you're preaching? Why do you say so many references? I said, because that's the only thing that really matters. I mean, my opinion doesn't matter. You know, I can get up there and tell funny stories and stuff, but that's not going to do anything for you, really. Um, so Paul says, we do not preach ourselves, but what do we do? But Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. Um, that is so, so important. Uh, there was a Scottish pastor named James Denny, and he uh, understood that verse, 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, very well. And uh, he understood the temptation as a, as a pastor to make yourself the object of attention. And to help him remember that he should never do that, he framed it and he hung it in his church with these words, no man can bear witness to Christ and to himself at the same time. No man can give the impression that he himself is clever and that Christ is mighty to save at the same time. That's true. That's very true. So a second way that it's demonstrated in biblical church is not just be the, 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 the central theme of the messages, um, but it's demonstrated in the life of the church is that every truth taught will in some way be tied to Christ in the gospel. Like I said, Christ is, is kind of knit, is weaved through the, the messages. It may not even be a text that is necessarily um, about Christ directly, but it, it's woven in there. And uh, it doesn't mean that Christ is constantly, that's all you're studying, the words in red, you know, the words of Jesus, that kind of a thing. Um, but it's, it's easy to get off message sometimes. It's easy to, to lose your focus on Christ. I don't know if you ever had this when you go in for um, an eye exam and they put you in that dome thing, you got to put your chin up there and then, you know, it's a peripheral vision thing, right? And so, the, the doctor, you know, he says, okay, you're going to see some lights and you got to hit the little clicker whenever you see the light. And if you're kind of a perfectionist like me, you know, you don't want to miss any of those, right? You want everything to go well. And so you, and, and as soon as you, you can't cheat because you're supposed to look at this little red dot. And as soon as you take your eyes off it, somehow the machine knows it and it beeps like, you're cheating, put your eye back on the red dot. That doesn't count. And I remember one time I wasn't seeing anything for the longest time. And I'm thinking, I probably missed it. I just start clicking the button. You know, finally he goes, what are you doing? I go, well, uh, you, there was no light. No, there's no light. He goes, look, you need to do it when you hit see the light. Don't anticipate it. This isn't a game. I'm trying to figure out your peripheral vision. 
And so, you know, you go through that, and, and it's, it's very important that you say laser focused on that, that red light and, and to have the test work, then you can see everything around you. Um, but the problem is, is so many times in our Christian lives, we get, you know, we, we can't just look at, the, at Christ. You know, we, we get distracted and, and we have all these other things coming into play in our peripheral vision. And, and what Paul means is when he said that he kept his preaching centered in Christ, in a biblical church, whatever subject, whatever passage, uh, whoever is preaching is preaching on, he will keep his eyes centered on Christ and the cross. It doesn't matter where you're at in the Bible. Now, it doesn't mean that you distort the meaning of the text and spiritualize it and somehow, oh, this, this means Jesus, you know, no. But the great theme of the, the Bible, once again, is what is Christ. It's God redeeming his people through his son, uh, for his glory. And so we can always see that in whatever text we're in. And so as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, our responsibility is to show you how, where, where is Christ in there? Um, Spurgeon made this point again and again, and he loved to tell this story to his students of a young preacher who he preached one day and in the congregation was an older pastor that he really respected sitting out there in the congregation and you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes on someone when you realize someone's there and kind of judging your, your teaching or whatever. Um, and so afterwards, after the young preacher got done, he, he went up to the older pastor and he said, so what did you think of my son? Thinking, I did pretty good, you know. And the old pastor just looked at him and he goes, it was a bad sermon. And the, the young pastor said, what do you mean it was a bad sermon? I studied all week, and, you know, did I not explain the text well? Were the illustrations inappropriate or too many? Were the arguments weak? Tell me, tell me, I want to learn. And the old pastor said, no, no, none of that. All that was fine. But it was still not a good sermon. And the young guy was kind of intrigued and ex exasperated. He, he says, well, can you please tell me why you think that it wasn't a good sermon. And he simply said this, because there was no Christ in it. And the young guy kind of petitioned. He says, well, wait a minute. Christ wasn't in the text. We only preach what's in the text, right? He wasn't in the text. And the old preacher told him this, this story that Spurgeon loved to tell. He says, this quote, he says, don't you know, young man, Spurgeon used to tell his students, that from every town and every village in England, there is a road that leads to London. And so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to Christ. And it's your business when you get to a text to say, what is the road to Christ? And then make sure your sermon follows that road. So it doesn't matter what you're preaching on. You know, every sermon must ultimately be rooted in Christ and Him crucified. Thirdly, there, where Christ and the, and the gospel are central, the music of the church will consistently have Christ and cross-centered lyrics. And we don't have to go into a bunch of that, but it's, it's very important, and we try to do our best here. Um, you know, in a biblical church, the lyrics, the songs will be centered on Christ and his work. Um, doesn't mean every song, but as a whole, that's kind of the direction we do. Uh, number four, the focus of the members' lives will be on what? Following Jesus Christ. That's, that's very important in a biblical church. You will hear about Jesus Christ from its members. If you go to a church and you never hear anyone mention the name of Christ, run. 
because you're probably not in a good church. Okay, um, that's a problem. The Christian life is characterized by being Christ's disciple, a learner, a student, uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the church is Christ's church. And sadly, uh, many churches, you never even hear anything about Christ. And so it's important that you, you, you see that. And, and that's what Jesus himself said in John 16, 14. He said, he will glorify me. He, the spirit, will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And so the role of the spirit in some churches, <clears throat> it's almost like they worship the Holy Spirit and not Jesus. It's all about the spirit. It's all about the gifts. It's all about a big show and big emotional thing and, and all that. And it's, it's a wrong, wrong worship that happens there. Uh, nothing should ever take the place of the centrality of Christ. Um, number five, where Christ and the gospel are central, there will be preached, uh, they will be preached, Christ and the gospel will be preached as a motive and power of spiritual growth. This is how we grow spiritually. Uh, a true Christian, listen carefully, a true Christian, this is very, very important. Uh, a true Christian never moves beyond Christ and the gospel. Spiritual growth only happens as we learn more about Christ and the gospel. If you aren't growing spiritually, it may be very well that you have stopped growing in your understanding of and your application of who Christ is and what the, what the, what the gospel is. And so it's, it's very important that you do that. And that's what, what Jesus talks about in John 15. He says, without me, you can do what? Nothing, nothing. Christ is essential in our lives. Number six, the gospel will be clearly and completely articulated. Um, in other words, the gospel won't be some unclear philosophical message. Uh, there won't be any question about what the gospel is. And this is a good test just for your own self. If somebody came up to you and said, what is the gospel? Could you tell them? You should be able to. Um, it's, it's very, very, very important. And I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate that today people bypass a lot of biblical language like repentance and belief and, and uh, um, words like that, atonement and propitiation. They don't even know what those words mean, but they're very central to understanding salvation. They're very central to the gospel. And so it's, it's an important thing to make sure that you understand that, understand and clearly articulate the gospel. Number seven, there will be both an individual and corporate desire to tell others of Christ and the gospel. As a church, we should have an evangelical, uh, evangelistic heart. We should want to share Christ with others because we know that they're lost and on their way to hell if we don't. And so that's, that should be our, our prayer. Um, number eight, having Christ and the gospel at the center will determine with whom we fellowship. And this is, this is very important as well. A lot of people think, well, do you think that that is that important? Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> if, if you are fellowshipping with so-called Christians that don't have a proper understanding of Christ and the gospel, um, you know, you're, you're going to run into issues. Uh, the truth of the gospel needs to be more than just... Um, Issues like abortion and the sanctity of marriage and social justice and all those things. Uh, we should be more concerned about protecting the gospel and, than protecting our planet. And so we have to have 
a proper understanding of it. And when we share that with others, we need to make sure that they're on the same page with that. And you know, it doesn't mean you don't have non-Christian friends. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, it's important to, to understand that, you know what, if you have more non-Christian friends than you do Christian friends, you have more friends that are outside of Christ than you do that are inside of Christ, then you know what, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. The Bible very clearly, you know, good company corrupts bad morals. It's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, um, it's not rocket science. So, you, you know, do you long for your unbelieving friends to come to Christ? Do you want to reach out to them? Definitely. But make them meet you on your terms. See, as Christians, so many times we, we fail to understand that. We, we always want to be cordial, and so we're, we end up going to their church or to their environment and all that rather than bringing them to ours where we know that the truth will be, they, they will hear it. Now, they may not like it, granted. I mean, that happens. You invite them, and they'll never come back. But you know what? You continue to pray for them, and you don't know what God's going to do. Hopefully they heard some element of truth that God could convict their hearts with. So those are just some things to think about when you think about a, a biblical church and keeping Christ central and uh, really the gospel central to what we are. And like I said, we're not a perfect church, but we try hard uh, to do things in a somewhat biblical way and uh, try our best to, to, to fulfill the, the Lord's command for our church. So. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, and then we can have some fellowship. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we pray that you would do your work in our hearts. Lord, we, we thank you for our church. We thank you that we can gather here. We thank you for this building. We thank you that you provide um, a place for us to worship on Sundays. Lord, we thank you for providing people that have a hunger for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we have gone through this series, the hallmarks of a biblical church, Lord, I pray that maybe just a little bit of thankfulness would grow up in our own hearts and, and, and spill over to others, Lord, that we would be thankful that we are uh, striving to be a biblical church. And Lord, we want to do things according to your word, not according to our ingenuity or our, our mindset. And so, Lord, we thank you for blessing our efforts in that way. And we pray tonight, if there's any here who has yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, for salvation, Lord, I, I pray that that verse where it says there's only one mediator between God uh, and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to the Father. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no man that comes to the Father but through me. So uh, I, I just pray that you would draw them, that you would make their sin very evident to them, that you would convict their hearts, Lord, that you would cause them to come to an end of themselves, and that they would be able to only look to you, to look to Christ for their salvation. And we pray that you would do that work to draw them. They would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Father, we pray that you would just uh, help us as believers to live in ways that are um, appealing, are attractive to others. Lord, that people would see something different in our lives. And Lord, that we would be bold in, in our message of telling them the gospel of Christ. And then we would see many come to Christ and converted. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We pray you just take us home safely tonight and bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.